Well, good morning, everybody. How many of you hate getting up an hour early this morning? (laughs) Brother Ed was telling me he set his clock forward last night. Then he couldn't go to sleep worrying he might sleep in. So glad to see all of you here in the house of the Lord this morning. This morning I want to talk about the believer and sin. The believer and sin. And, uh, you know, sometimes you wonder why some Christians can live victoriously, always walking in victory with the Lord, and others uh, seem to live in defeat all the time. Some uh, are happy and excited uh, in their walk with God and It seems like some are always discouraged and depressed. Have you met Christians like that? Always down, discouraged, depressed. Some uh, go on in spite of the failures of life. And then there are others who, when they fail, just kind of drop off the edge of the world and quit serving Christ and quit serving God. And... uh, You wonder why all of that happens. Well, I know it's not because one is more accepted than the other before God. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, chapter number 1 and verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the beloved. It's the grace of God that gives us acceptance before God. Amen? Amen. It's His mercy and His grace and His goodness to us. God reaching down to where we are to bring us up to where He is. And it's all of Him and we're accepted in the beloved because of the grace of God. The wonderful grace of God. And that little phrase, made us accepted. When I was studying this week uh, and looking up different meanings of different words, uh, uh, someone translated it like this. We're accepted because he bestowed grace and favor upon us. Grace and favor bestowed upon us because of the love of God. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He didn't have to do that, but he did it because he loved us and we're accepted in the beloved because of the grace and the mercy and the favor that God has bestowed upon us. And I was thinking, what kind of an illustration could I use And uh, I thought about the 12th chapter of Exodus. You might want to turn there. I'm going to read several verses. The 12th chapter of Exodus. Let me get you up to speed on where we are. The children of Israel are in Egypt. They're bond slaves there in Egypt. And the Bible says they were crying out to God because of the oppression of that slavery. 
And God heard their cry. Aren't you glad that God listens when we cry? God heard their cry. And he raised up a deliverer by the name of Moses. And God began to talk to Moses. It's just about time for them to deliver the children of Israel out of that slavery. And look what he says in, in verse number 3. He, uh, Exodus chapter 3 uh, 12 and verse number 3. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel. In the tenth month, or in the tenth day of this month, they shall take of them every man, what? A lamb. You ought to underline that in your Bible. A lamb. A lamb. Every man needs a lamb. Every man is what God is saying. According to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. Every house was to have a lamb. Every family was to have a lamb. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house Take it according to the number of the souls or the number of the people. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Every man needs a lamb. Then he's talking about the lamb. And he goes on to say in verse 5, Your lamb shall be without blemish a male of the first year. Ye shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. He goes on in verse number seven. Look there. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. Look down in verse 12. God says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token unto the houses where ye are. And when I... See what? The blood. I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. When I see the blood. Could I ask you, was there any other way that the firstborn in all of those houses would be spared other than the way God laid out? What if somebody tacked up their baptismal certificate over the door? What if they took all of their Sunday... Remember when they used to give Sunday school pins and you got it for perfect attendance? I remember as a boy, I had a whole string of those. My dad made sure we got up and went to church on Sunday morning. I had a whole string, but you know what? 
you could hang that string of perfect attendance to the house of God over the door, but would have that done anything? Or you could have written out a list of all your good works. And we all do some good things once in a while. Uh, and hang that over the door. Would that have sufficed? God said, I'm going to pass through the land and the death angel is going to pass through the land. If, if you will put the blood over the door and on the post of the door, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Amen. God accepts us all alike. There's not a Baptist way of salvation and a Methodist way of salvation and a Catholic way of salvation. There's only one way of salvation. That's his way. Amen? We're all accepted alike. And God said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. It's all about Jesus and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's because of his blood. When John the Baptist was down by the Jordan River and Jesus parted the cattails and stepped into view, John pointed his bony finger and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Every man needs a lamb. Every man needs the lamb. Jesus is the Lamb of God that will take away the sin of the world. It's all about the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews says, almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood is no remission of sin. Peter would go on to say in the first chapter of his book, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, from your sins uh, from your vain conversation uh, re, uh, uh, received by tradition from your fathers. But listen to what he says in verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's how we're redeemed. Not by traditions. You know... We Baptists have as many traditions as any of the other religions. We don't read our prayers out of a book. And we think maybe because we don't do that, we don't have traditions. But we have traditions, don't we? Y'all come in and sit down. And uh, when uh, the music director gets up and uh, leads you in a song, everybody stands. We know when to stand up. We know all of the song. We know when to sit down. Uh, you know, uh, the routine kind of goes, and we have our tradition of how we gather and worship uh, the Lord. 
But it's not about tradition, my friend. It's about the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's about what he did on the cross of Calvary. Amen. So what is the difference between Christians? Why are some victorious and some defeated? Why are some happy and excited and others are always discouraged and depressed? What is it that makes the difference. It's all about what we do with our sin after we've been saved. It's all about what we do with our sin. You know, if you're prayed up and uh, you're right with God, you walk into the house of the Lord, uh, you got the joy of the Lord in your heart. Amen. Amen. But if you come in and you've not talked to God about the way you've been living and the things you've been doing, uh, and you're, you know, the, the priests used to have to wash their hands and wash their feet, and uh, they had certain garments that they had to wear because they had to come before the Lord and they had to be clean before God. And many times Christians come and they're not really clean before God because of the way they've been living. But when you're prayed up and confessed up and uh, you're right with God, you come into the church, you're happy about what's going on. When the music starts, you got a song in your heart. Amen. It's all about what you do with your sin after you're saved. John would write in his first epistle, in chapter 1 and verse 9, you all know it. If we confess our what? He's faithful and just to do what? Forgive us our sin and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we all quote that verse and know it. But verse 10 goes on to say, If we say we have no sin, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. We all sin. I said we all sin. We don't like to admit it. We act like we don't. You know, we take our shower and we put on our foo-foo water and we brush our teeth and use our mouthwash and comb our hair, if you got any, uh, and put on our, our best bib and tucker, and we come to church and we act like, man, we're just Mr. Joe spiritual. Hello. But you know what I know? Because God told me here, we're all sinners. We're all sinners. As you study the Word of God, you discover all of those great men that we hold up in such high esteem. We're sinners. David, that great king of Israel, the Bible said he was a man after God's own heart. Can you imagine that being your epitaph? A man after God's own heart. God said that. 
said, David's got a heart that, that uh, is entwined with mine. He's got a heart like I do. And yet David committed some of the most horrible sin that you could ever think about anybody committing. <laughs> Abraham, the father of the faith. That's what the Bible calls him. The father of the faithful was a liar. He sinned. Lied about his wife. Not just once, twice. All of that mess with Hagar. He was a sinner. Peter, we just read some of his verses. He was used of God to write some of the holy writ. And yet Peter was always in trouble with God, wasn't he? His big mouth. Any of you got a big mouth that gets you in trouble? Oh, me. Paul would write to the church at Rome in chapter 3 of his book and say, for all, for all of us are unrighteous. There is none righteous. No, not one. He goes on to say, there's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together uh, become unprofitable. There is none. There is none. He said, none that doeth good. No, not one. He goes on to say down in verse 23, for all. Who does that include? Who does that include? Who does that include? Me. For I've sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've missed the mark, which begs the question, so what kind of provision has God made for our sin? Listen to Isaiah chapter 53, one of the great chapters in all the Bible. Isaiah chapter 53, in verse number of three, he says, for he is despised. Speaking of Jesus, this is a prophecy about Jesus. For he is despised and rejected of men. Said he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. What is a transgression? Sin. Sin. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. What is iniquity? Sin. Sin. 
The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity. What is iniquity? Sin. sin. God's laid all the sin of the world upon Jesus. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, verse 10 says, put him to, uh, to grief, when he shall make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul. How could we ever grasp the full meaning of that? All I know is when Jesus took all of our sins and was nailed to that cross of Calvary, he who knew no sin became sin. And God turned his back on his own son because of my sin because of your sin Jesus would cry my God my God why have you forsaken me Isaiah is referring to that when God saw the travail of Jesus' soul that God-forsaken travail. He said, it's enough. I'm satisfied. Payment has been made. And he wasn't paying for his own sin. He was paying for my sin and for your sin on the cross of Calvary. Amen? Amen. Peter says, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Amen. All because of Jesus. Our sins have been dealt with. God has dealt with our sin. For he hath made him, Paul would write to Corinth and say, he has made him uh, to be sin for us that knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. How? In him. In him. That's the only reason you can be righteous is in Jesus. He took our place. He paid our debt. Yes, he did. A debt he did not owe. The debt I could not pay. You could not pay. Jesus took it. Amen. And his precious blood bought our salvation. 
We have nothing to offer God. What can you offer him? Peter said, not silver and gold. Paul would write to the church at Ephesus and say, by grace are we saved through faith. Not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Mercy. It's grace. It's a gift. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. It's all about what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. I love that song that says, Who am I that a king would bleed and die for? And it wasn't for his sin. It was for our sin, my sin, your sin that he died on the cross of Calvary. We can't bring our righteousness because we have none. Paul would write to Titus and say, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. According to his mercy. Isaiah would tell us, Uh, that we're all an unclean thing. And all our righteousness are as filthy rags in the sight of God. The best that we can do is tainted with sin. Christ died for all our sin. Christ died for all your sin. Past, present, and future. Say, preacher, how in the world can that be? How in the world can that be? Well, they were all future when Jesus died. You weren't around, I wasn't around. All of our sins were future when Jesus died. So it's not a big thing with God. Died for the sins of the past. Like those children of Israel when God made a way for them to approach him in that sacrificial system that he set up with Moses. That was a picture of what Jesus would ultimately do on the cross of Calvary. Said you got to bring a lamb. Got to bring that sacrifice. You put your hands on the head of that lamb signifying he's taking my place. And they slew that little lamb and took the blood to offer before God. We need a lamb. We need the lamb. I hope you can say this morning that he's your lamb. Your lamb. He died for you. And the thing that makes the difference is whether or not you will accept him as your Lord and Savior. I love the verse that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae in chapter 2 
And in verse number 13, he says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened or made alive together with him, having forgiven you all the trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against you, which was contrary to his, uh, to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. You know what Paul's saying? Everything that's against you, he took and he nailed it to his cross and his blood covers that if you'll just accept it. I love the song that we sing so many times. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Sing with me. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Aren't you glad for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary that covers all of our sin? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left its crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Have you been washed in the blood? We sang about it a while ago. Have you been washed in the blood? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's not what I do. It's not what I can do. Not what I will do. It's what he's done on the cross of Calvary. The question is, have you been, have you come to that fountain that's been filled with blood that was drawn from Emmanuel's veins where when sinners are plunged beneath that flood lose all, not just some, lose all their guilty stain. I often think of that illustration I read uh, years ago in a book, I think I probably mentioned it in the past, but the little boy and his dad there in London going to watch the parade. And they were in an upstairs room 
and they were looking out the window. And all of those men with their red coats came marching down the street. And the little guy was too short to see out the window because there was a red frame around the window. At, you know how when you, you see that, uh, that painted glass, sometimes there's a, there's a red streak. And all he could do was see that red, and he was looking through that red streak. And anytime you look at red, through red, it's pure white. And he said, Dad, look at those beautiful white coats. And when God looks at me, when God looks at you, if you come to the cross, he doesn't see our sin the way, the way that we see our sin. He sees our sin through the red blood of the Lord Jesus Christ because he's washed us white as snow. Taken all of our sin. Buried him in the depths of the deepest sea. Removed him as far as the east is from the west. Taken his divine eraser. Yes. Says he'll remember him against us no more. They're gone because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have time to finish my message. I'll preach it next Sunday night. Because I want to talk about the chastening of the Lord. And chastening is not payment because Jesus paid it all. We're not paying for our sin when God chastens us. Chastening is correction. Yes. Chastening is saying, hey, that's not the way to do it. That's not the way you need to be going. And you need to straighten yourself up. Right. I can remember uh, as a kid growing up in church, I always had to sit by my dad. Uh, there might have been a reason for that. I'm not sure. <laughs> Sometimes I'd get to fidgeting around, creating a little disturbance. I know none of you ever did anything like that. My dad would lean down and whisper in my ear, you better straighten up. And I remember the Sunday I didn't straighten up. And all of a sudden, I felt myself being lifted out of the chair. And my dad helped straighten me up yes. because he loved me. He wanted to teach me how, how to sit in church, how to behave myself. That's chastening. It's not punishment. That's chastening. That's another message for another time because I don't have time to go into all of it. But a week from Sunday night, I'm going to preach that part of the message, okay? 
I just want you to know this morning that our sins are paid for. Amen. They're under the blood. Amen. If you're here and you're a child of God, you don't have to run to the altar every Sunday morning and confess the same sin over and over. It's all paid for. Once you confess it, it's under the blood. It's as white as snow in the sight of God. He sees us through the blood of Jesus. It's all about His righteousness, not mine. I'm made righteous because of Him. Amen? Amen. He took my place. He paid the price. And when you accept Him, your sins are covered. Covered by the blood of Jesus. You're not under the penalty of that sin anymore. Because Jesus paid it all. He took your place. He died your death. He took your hell. And he reaches out. Says, hey, if you'll come to me, I won't cast you out. Come on. He says, come on, let's reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow because I paid the price. And when you accept him, we're clean. We're clean through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that mean we'll never sin again? No. No. Our nature, our old nature is a sin nature. We live in a sin-cursed world. That's our present condition. But our future is as bright as the promise of God. Because when he takes us home to heaven, ain't going to sin no more. Amen. It's going to be gone. gone. Streets of gold, gates of pearl. Amen. We'll be in the presence of Jesus. We'll be just like him. Mm. Yes. That's going to be a great day. Amen. Amen. What a day that's going to be. Here's the question this morning. Have you been born again through the blood of Jesus? I'm not talking about church membership. I'm not talking about what you do and, and trying to live right and do right. I've had people say, Preacher, when, when I get rid of this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get right with God. Preacher, when I give this up, I'm going to get in church and I'm going to do right. God doesn't ask you to give up anything. God doesn't ask you to give up anything. He just says, come on. I paid the price. I'll cleanse you. I'll give you a new life. 
You can be born again into my family because I paid for you, paid for all of your sin. Don't have to give up anything. Now, I do know this, that when you get saved, he miraculously gives you a new want to. Gives you a new want to. You don't want to do the things you used to do. Because the Bible says you become a new creature in Christ Jesus. If you still want to live like you always lived and do what you've always done and carry on like you've always carried on, you better inspect your heart whether or not you've really been born again into the family of God. You don't work to get saved. You just trust Jesus because he paid for all of it. Isn't that a glorious truth? You can't work to keep it. He said, I give unto them eternal life. When you got it, you got it, and you can't get rid of it. Can you mess up? Oh, yeah. Can you be chastened of God? Oh, yeah. We'll talk about that a week from Sunday night. But you can't be lost. Once you're saved, you're in the family of God. You're in the hand of Jesus, who's in the hand of God. And no man can pluck us out of his hand. Amen? What's the secret? The cross. That's where it all happened. At the cross, the psalmist said, mercy and truth are met together. Mercy and truth are met together. God's mercy and God's truth. And because of that, we can have peace with God. Know that we're his child and on the way to heaven. So the question is, have you received that by faith? God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you really know him as Lord and Savior? Are you playing the religious game? You playing the church game? Has it really happened down in your heart? If it did, you know it. If there's doubts there, and if there's not been any change in the way that you've lived, you might ought to do a little inspection whether or not you've really put your faith in Jesus or are you trusting in something else? The cross. I love the old song that says, there's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you.
Do you need Jesus this morning? I invite you to come to the cross. You're living in defeat, discouraged, depressed in your Christian walk. Then come back to the realization that Christ loved you, died for you, paid for all of your sin, wants to give you a brand new life. If you just get your eyes off yourself and get them back on Jesus, you can have the joy of the Lord in your heart. Would you bow your heads with me, every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you loved us so much you wouldn't see us perish. But you sent your son to die for us and to pay for our sin. And when we come to Jesus and we invite him into our heart and into our life, you give us a brand new life, eternal life, forgiveness of sin. You put us in your family. Oh God, help us to embrace that truth, to rejoice in that truth, to be happy in Jesus this morning. Maybe there's somebody here, Lord Jesus, that's never invited you into their life. Could this be the day that they come to the cross? Lord, would this be the day they would bow before you and invite you into into their life? Maybe there's some defeated Christians here today, Lord. The joy has left their soul. Maybe because of some besetting sin. I don't know what all might be happening in their heart and in their life. But they're defeated. They're discouraged. Help them to look to the cross this morning. To know it's all under the blood. And the joy of the Lord can be our strength if we'll just come and make things right with you. Lord, you know what needs to happen this morning. So in Jesus' name, we ask that you would speak to each of our hearts, each of our lives today, and help us to respond to that still, small voice of God that's speaking to our soul today. 